Lord, we are so thankful that you are the great I am. You are all those things that we just sung. And you have made each of us to reflect you in who you are. Lord, I pray that you enliven us with your Holy Spirit within us, that we can truly become who you've created us to be and honor you in how we live and how we interact with each other and what we bring to this world. Lord, may this service, this time of gathering as a community, enrich and inspire and energize us to be your people in this world, even a world where we're exiles. Oh, Lord, we ask for your mercy and your grace and that we can lift up our heads and see who you are, the great I am. And we're going to pray together the Lord's Prayer saying what we believe. I think the words are going to be on the screen. You pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. But as you sit down, could you open up your bulletin to the middle section? We have an invitation for you. If you look in the section that has all the pretty colors, it says First Saturdays. And uh, we're making this offering because there are so many amongst us, you come and talk to us, who are grieving, as we are too. Maybe it's been something that's happened in this last year, but sometimes it's been several years ago. And as anniversaries of deaths or as times, the holidays come up, people, we need to know, we need to, we need to say together what we believe and be a community. So I'm gonna read this announcement right here. Are you or someone you care for, you're in relationship with, are you grieving the loss of a family member or a friend? Saturday, next Saturday, November 2, the First Saturday's Worship Community will host a commemoration service, a remembrance, inviting anyone who is in grief. Kevin and I will be, guiding, will be, will be guides. As those of you who come, remember those who have gone on before you, and the hope we have as Christians living this life into the next. I've had to rehearse this in myself a lot. What do I believe about this life into the next? And we're going to talk about that. We will remember, we will pause, say law, and we will pray together as a community. Participants are invited to bring a votive candle to light in remembrance of their loved ones, a little light representing their life. And you're welcome to bring, invite family and friends. It doesn't matter if you come to third. They're welcome to come. We in our community, how many deaths have we had, Kevin? We have had more than 200 deaths in our, in our extended community in the last year or two. And that all ripples out. And because we want you to be cared for, to be loved, and to be prayed over, we invite you to come. Thank you.
So could I invite you then to continue with me in this journey on exile? Could I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to, as is my custom, I'm going to share with you a few things about where we live. And the reason I want to share those today, what I'm going to share with you is, it used to be in Christendom, the Christian community had some voice in the conversation. The issues of ethics and philosophy were often shaped by Christian ideas and Christian leaders. But the things are changing now. So let me just read just two things that came out this week. This is Wednesday. The headline is Ethical Concerns Raised After Scientists Create Many Human Brains That May Be Sentient, S-E-N-T-I-N-T, which means these brains can experience emotions. Scientists together gathered to talk about artificially created human brains, and the conversation was they may have crossed the line because researchers have manufactured sentient human brains from stem cells. That means from stem cells, scientists have created brains that have emotions. Scientists have made enormous strides in recent years creating what are called organoids, consisting of lumps of lab-grown human brain tissue. Some of these creations have brain, spontaneous brain waves, which the researchers say are comparable to those of an unborn child. So in Christendom, there would be a conversation about the forming of human brains from stem cells. Not so much today. This also came out Wednesday, headline from Google. Google says it has achieved quantum supremacy. Tech giant Google claims to have changed, have achieved quantum supremacy, a revolutionary technical feat that heralds a new area of vastly more powerful supercomputers. A group of researchers indicate this is a discovery that could change the world as we know it. Why? Scientists for Google confirmed on Wednesday that one of the corporation's computers solved a problem in 200 seconds that would take the best computer today 200 years. The new computer developed can do in 200 seconds what used to take our best computers 200 years. It used to be that the Christian community had some conversation about ethics and philosophy and things like these creations. But now that the Christian community is on the margins, scientists are going, creating, observing, and there is almost no conversation. Interestingly, the person making the most noise about AI, artificial intelligence, is Elon Musk. He's the man who wrote, developed Tesla. He is pushing the the landing on Mars. And Elon Musk is raising his hand, saying, oh boy, be careful. I see Casey and Gloria... Sympathy to you, Gloria, Casey, and the death of your brother, Mike and Carrie. May the Lord bless you as you release him to the Lord. So, here we go. In that light, let me give you some good news. Neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, we must tell a new tale, a powerful story so persuasive that it sweeps away old myths and becomes the preferred story. One is that so inclusive it gathers bits of our past into our present, into a coherent whole. One that even shines some light into the future so that we can take the next step. 
If you want to change a culture, you need to change the narrative. So the narrative is seatbelts. Everything is moving faster and faster in ways unimaginable. Change the narrative. We are part of an unbreakable, unshakable kingdom. The Lord in heaven is not going, oh, no. They built this computer, and it's going so fast. What am I going to do? Psalm 2. The king in the heavens laughs. We have a king who has a kingdom that cannot be broken, that cannot be shaken. And we need to tell the story of our king and what is coming. And what we're going to see today is there is a movement as Peter watches what's happening to his exiles. He's going to raise the volume of you need to know what's coming, meaning that Christ is returning. So I'm going to take these first 11 verses. I'm going to break them in half. Very quickly, I'm going to look at verses chapter 4, 1 through 6. And I'm going to talk about three commitments, two costs, and one ending. I'm going to set that aside. And I want to talk specifically about how we flourish in exile. We look with me, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 to start with. Please hear these words from the Lord. Therefore, since, Christian, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Uh, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they, are not, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. These are the words of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I'm going to do three things. I want you to see three specific commitments. So I need you to think hard with me for about the first 10 minutes and you can sleep. You got to really think with me for these three commitments. There are three commitments we have to make so that we can look at the two costs so that we can say, okay, I can focus on what is to come, and I can be encouraged and strengthened. But we've got to make some commitments. Now, back you up a second. Remember, now, Peter's writing to people who are in exile. So we've got to keep remembering we are being pushed to the margins. And I'm trying to suggest to us this is a wonderful place to be. Because on the margins, we live with a vitalized faith in Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, directed by the words, with growing brothers and sisters who also understand the time we're living in. So what are the three commitments? Three, three commitments. Number one, verse one, become clear and focused in your thinking. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. So here's the first commitment. Commit yourself to clear, right thinking. I, just, I want to just keep asking us, inviting us. Remember now, we live our lives between our ears. How we think affects how we feel, which directs how we live. So the first commitment is say, arm yourselves with the attitude of Jesus. You've you got to think clearly. 
This is one of my concerns. In a busy, disoriented culture that we're living in, it is so easy to be distracted by so many things. So one of the first things he says to exiles is, no, make sure you're thinking clearly, soberly. Get rid of, get, 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 aim, aim. Arm yourselves, aim. Be clear, be clear, be clear. Think rightly. The next thing he says in verse two, live for the will of God. That very phrase, live for the will of God. What's the will of God? What did Jesus say? Love God and love the one he has sent. That's the will of God. It's to love. So what's been the whole theme all running through 1 Peter? Holiness, which is what? Love God, love people. To will the good of another. So the second commitment is, okay, I'm going to live for Christ and his kingdom. So no matter what our job, no matter where school we go to, no matter what our futures are, no matter what our trajectory is, we want to live for the will of God. The third commitment is resist earthly passions. You notice what he says in verse 3? For you've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans and non-Christians do. A friend of mine drives Uber in Iowa City. And he drives, unbeknownst to a number of the people he picked up, are people from Pella, students from Pella. And on several occasions, the students were very, very intoxicated or very high. And they were talking about you. They come from our town. And they were talking about us. And they're talking about how judgmental and how crabby he was. And all, you know, just very, very, very painful, yucky things they said about us. The driver, who is from us, just listened and watched those young people who were bombed out of their minds, urinating on themselves, puking in his car, laughing and all those things. He said, I watched young ladies walk down the street partially clothed. I watched men groping them, being totally inappropriate. I watched all this going on all over the place. And Peter says, that's how you used to live. Don't live like that anymore. Three commitments. Be resolved, you're going to live like Christ. Second one, I want to do the will of God. Number three, I'm not going to live the way I used to. So then what are, what are the costs? Verse 4, here's the first cost. They are surprised you do not join them. Don't be surprised if people diminish, make fun of, put you down if you don't do what you used to do. And the next phrase, they heap abuse on you. Don't, don't be surprised at being criticized. If you don't do what your friend... So if I don't vape with my friends... If I don't get high with my friends, if I don't cheat on my taxes like my friends, if I don't report my income accurately like my friends, if I misuse alcohol like my friends, and I stop, expect to be criticized. Why? Because oftentimes living a different way shines a light on people. So three commitments, resolve to be like Jesus, will of God, don't live like I used to, don't be surprised if people are critical, don't be surprised if you're abused. A couple years ago, I'll give you a story, example. So let's talk about it, being abused in our culture today. A few years ago on a Sunday afternoon, a Sunday evening, we showed a, a nice film that was really about honoring life. It was not meant to be controversial at all in any way. 
But somehow, and, and you all know this, if you go to a large church, you're being trolled. You know, where people are watching everything, listening to all the things we say, I say, we say, and they make comments, blah, blah, blah. So this person, a person, saw this movie being, being shown and immediately puts out a blast and we got all kinds of responses back about being right-wing homophobes and being, you know, all kinds of things were said. And I watched some of us, some of our leaders, our staff, we were just anxious about that. <gasps> really? Real, real, that, that's that's going to make us afraid? What someone says about us? Really? Really? Isn't it so sad today that we have young people committing suicide because of what people say to them online? Say about them online? We've not suffered yet, persecuted to this place of shedding blood. We've had a few things that are a little bumpy, but not a lot. Let me continue where I was last week with you. So in this country where they have these Maguga cameras where they can see everything about you, and they give you a social score that determines whether or not you can function or not. This last week in that same country, do you understand when I say social score what I'm talking about? So in this country, you are rated in a certain way by the government, which determines whether your kids can go to school, whether you can be in the economy, whether you can be in public places, whether you can travel in the country. The lower your social score, the less you can do. The higher your social score, the more you can do. So the government is now totally watching all these people incredible numbers of people, social scores. In one particular, this last week, in this country, the largest church in that country was completely razed to the ground, destroyed. And believers were asked to stand around as this building was complete. So imagine, imagine us having to stand on the 16 acres and we watched the government soldiers come in and with cranes and bulldozers knock all this facility to the ground. And then they took us all to prison. Now, what's crazy about this country is the gospel is flying. People are coming to faith in Jesus and following after Jesus like crazy. They understand they're on the margins. But these people have made commitments to follow after Christ. They understand the cost. And they're saying, and we're going to look at the final. I didn't talk about this. The final end is the victory that's coming through Christ. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what's coming. Nobody knows. But all I'm trying to suggest to us is there is a growing sense of urgency that we need to have a deeper, deeper, deeper vital relationship with Jesus. You can't depend on me to be your Bible. When, your, when our seasons of great pain and challenge come, we need hundreds and thousands of people to be so rooted in Christ that a whole community says, we will stand together, which is the segue for verses 7 through 11. So look at verses 7 through 11. Now, let's talk about timing just a little bit. So I want to read 7 through 11, but let me now go to slide. And can I say Ann back there? I can't tell. Dave, can I have slide number 6, please? So this is where I'd like to go for some conversation. And just, no, one more. I'm sorry, next one. There you go. Here's where I want to end up. I'd like to ask if you'd be willing to have some conversation with someone around you. And this is the question I'd like to raise. In light of what I'm going to read, chapter 4, 7 through 11, this is my question. If you knew, if we knew 
that Jesus is coming back in December of 2020, if we all knew that, would we live differently? And if we did, what would we do differently? And why? Let me give a different example, but like it. If you knew a doctor said, your cancer is not treatable, there is no miracle, you cannot be healed, you will die. If you knew you were going to die in a week, would you live differently? I think the answer is yes. But I'm asking at a higher level, if we knew Jesus is coming back, which I'm going to show you the next few verses, would you live differently? Okay, so let's go there. Chapter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. So what does he mean, the end of all things is near? Could you turn your Bible over to a couple pages to the right? 2 Peter chapter 3. So the same author writing to the same people. 2 Peter chapter 3. The end of all things is near, is what he said in chapter 4, verse 7. Look at what he says now in 2 Peter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So can you look up for a second? So how many days in God's time has Jesus been off the earth? So if he says the end is near, what if it's 10,000 years in God's time? How many days is that? Because there is no time in eternity. So what he's saying is, get ready. Jesus is coming. The end is near, and what's going to happen when he comes? Verse 8 and 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. People are saying, ah, you've talked about this before. Nothing's going to happen. As some understand slowness. Instead, the Lord is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord as the second coming of Jesus will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Look at your footnote down at the bottom. All things will be burned up. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? So what does he say? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Why? The end is near. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, or as you wait eagerly for the, the day of the Lord to come. That day will be the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So what he says in chapter 4, verse 7, the day of the Lord is near. What's the day of the Lord? We just read it. So I just want you to just imagine this now. What if, what if in our lifetime, soon, what if 2 Peter chapter 3, 8 through 13 happens? Let me ask you this question. Are you ready for that? Can you imagine whatever it is is going to happen? Can you imagine the size and scope of all that? And what he's saying is, the day of the Lord is near. Now let's go back. You make three commitments. What are the commitments? You be resolved to arm yourselves to live like Christ. What's the second commitment? You want to do the will of God. What's the third commitment? 
I'm not going to do the things I used to do. What are the costs? People are going to make fun of me. People are going to speak poorly of me. But what's going to happen, verse 7? But Jesus is going to come back, 2 Peter 3, and everything is going to be made new. Let's talk about new. There are different words for new in the Greek New Testament. This word is things of the same kind completely restored. So let me play with you for just a little bit here now. Do you ever find, so because of my occupation, I'm regularly with people who die. And in the transition, the moment they die to the moment they are with the Lord, in that time, on a regular basis, people see things. And they would say, like Lane's mom, I remember back when we were standing at the grave the other day. She is, tornado is hitting Grinnell, Iowa, moving grandma out of her room into the hallway. And as the winds are blowing and the patients are in the hallways, grandma opens her eyes and says, can't you see? Can't you see? And she saw things of beauty, and she kept pointing and talking about what is right there. Stay with me. When Jesus ascended to heaven, it doesn't say how far and high he went. He just disappeared. What if, wherever it is, Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God? What if that's another dimension? And when Christ returns... We see what is. And then he creates a new, a restored heaven and a restored earth. And he'll say to every one of us who now stand before the king, why should I let you into my kingdom? And our response is, your blood covered a multitude of my sins. And what will the king say? Welcome home. It is so good to have you here. And Peter says to people in exile, the day of the Lord is near. Now go back to chapter 4. It's 1 Peter chapter 4. So now look at these things that emerge. How do we flourish in light of the end of all things? So he says, first. Be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. I'm going to go through each one of these verses now. Watch, think about this one. Be alert and of sober mind. So help me. Who's writing First Peter? Who? Peter. Is there a story that we know of in Peter's life? When Jesus said to him, be alert, watch, and pray. Do you know a story? the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said to his three best friends, hey, hey, I need you to stay with me. I want you to watch and pray. And what does Matthew say? So that you don't fall into temptation. The flesh is, 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 it, the flesh is willing, the, the spirit is willing when the flesh is weak and they all fall asleep. Now what does he say in verse 7? Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Brothers and sisters, here's my first step into how we flourish. Can I have a slide, Dave, with the four things about flourishing? We have to pray alertly. So, so you know, if you go back to my bibliography and all those things they worked on over these last months, and I read stuff like this every single day, this just fires the heck out of me to pray. It just fires me up. Why? 
Because I want to be part of a people who are saying, Lord, may your kingdom come. Lord, would you help these scientists who are making brains? Would you touch their hearts and minds that as they're making brains for these beings, that either you affirm it or you destroy it. But Lord, you be the Lord of whatever it is they're doing. And we have these computers that are doing all kinds of stuff and say, Lord, if these things are of you and you want them to use this for good, I pray that you're going to put gasoline in that fire. But if they're bad, Lord, you blow that sucker up. He just fires up praying, doesn't it? You're looking at culture saying, what's going on? So I'm watching disintegration of relationships. Lord, you're working, work, work in these broken relationships. Move by your spirit. Bring your word. Healing prayer. Change of memories. Change of minds. Come on, Lord. Work for your glory. Pray alertly. So one of the things Lane and I have done over about 10 years now, the Wittenbergs were joined us way back in the day. We started praying the hours. We've been praying the hours for more than a decade now. It's about craft, praise the hours every morning. Now we've moved farther now, and now we're using Venite, which is part of what we're going to use next week, Saturday. And what we're finding is the prayers of the church for 2,000 years become embedded in us. And as we look at culture, all of a sudden those words start to come up. Do you often know what I say before we pray the Lord's Prayer together? Listen to these words. This comes from the ancient prayer. Would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught his brothers and sisters and friends? That's the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. In the same group of verses, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. And all of a sudden, these words that have been prayed through the ages become part of us. Oh, how about this? Let's try this together. How about that? Help me with this. The Lord is my, I shall not. He makes me, he leads me, he, he guides me for even though I walk, I will for your rod and staff. Ooh, you know those words. You see what happens when those prayers become a part of us? All of a sudden, those prayers become prayed through us. And as we look at culture, these words become part of staying sober and alive by praying the words of Scripture. The next one is love deeply. And thank you for adding that, Dave. It's connected to hospitality. Look at the next verse. Verse 8, next two verses. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. What's he talking about? Two things. So you have an exiled people. So as an exiled people, when you're fleeing from where you are from, and now you're in a different place, what do you do if there are not hotels or Airbnbs and you have no money? Where do you stay? Where do you eat? Love one another deeply. Offer hospitality. Open your hearts. Interesting, I've been reading one of our children, some of our kids go to a church in um, Portland, and one of the pastors is John Mark Comer. Portland is, identifies the second least religious city in America, and it's a very unique place in many ways. This particular church called Bridgetown 
One of the ways they're trying to infiltrate as exiles the city of Portland with all its unique policies and things is they are going after loving people and offering hospitality. So they do things like saying to whoever lives in their apartment floor or who, people in class or people at workplaces on a regular basis, just come to our home. Bring something. We'll cook together. We'll, we'll, we'll talk together. And this could be heresy for some of us, but we'll see. And then they invite people to have the Lord's Supper because they're trying to plant gospel seeds in a culture of people who think Christians are a bunch of right-wing, crazy, angry people. And all of a sudden, in subtle, hidden ways, these exiles in Bridgetown Church are reaching people who would never, ever, ever, ever come to a building. But they'll come to a home. So you pray intently, alertly, for what's happening in culture. We love, we want to love, remember the word love, agapao, to will the good of the others, offer, open our hearts to others, and then he says, if you have a gift, use it humbly. Use your gift humbly. And at the end, it's to praise, praise regularly. I've said this before, so I'm not speaking out of school. It took me a long time to be able to praise after Kirk died. It took me a long, long time. I tried, I tried, but my heart was broken, and my will is stubborn. I was hurt and broken, and angry, and confused, and disoriented. But that's what you've done for me. You've been praying for Lane and me. You've loved us deeply. You've offered your hearts to us. You've served in such kind ways. And now I'm starting to be able to praise. But how about the same for you? See, that this is what happens. This is how we flourish. We understand we're here just a short time. We're not here long. We just have a few years on this planet, and then we have forever. How long is forever? One of our sons says, Dad, it creeps me out. How long is forever? Forever. Right? We just have time frames, time frames, time. There is no time. So again, think about this now. What we have the privilege of doing, brothers, listen, listen to this now. In the, whatever is happening in our culture, whatever is happening, we have a king who is never shaken. We have a kingdom that is never in trouble. And our Lord is asking us to be more like him together. So even if we are in the margins, we have opportunities to flourish, to flourish, to flourish, to flourish, to thrive. And then people say, what do you have? What do you, think about this. Let me, let me tell you a story. On Monday nights, we have the teaching team comes to our, our home on Monday nights and we, we talk about all this and stuff. A couple weeks ago, one of the people, I won't name who it is, just shared a what if. So we were talking about what if the Lord's up to something beautiful here among us in southeast Iowa. And some people have been given prophetic words of what it's going to look like, all this. But one of the questions that was asked is what if this coming move of the Holy Spirit is going to look really, really different than anywhere else? 
Because it's unique to context, right? You find your find a work of the Spirit, it's unique to context, right? So what's our context been the last two years? The last five years. Our context has been enormous suffering. And yet in the suffering, what's the Holy Spirit doing? He's raising up our resurrection people. People who are not afraid of death. Let me say that again. If you look at the American culture, read widely, the taboo in conversation is death. The third deformed church in Pella, Iowa is not afraid of death. Am I speaking the truth? Because we believe in the resurrection. Am I speaking the truth? And that is getting embedded. So what if whatever is coming in the midst of exit, we're going to flourish in such unique ways. But here's my concern. I want everybody to be on the train. I want all of you to be a part of this. Not just a couple of us. Not just a few. Not just a select few. Everyone. Let me tell you a secret. We've done some changing of programming this year. You know why? We're trying to get adults to catch up with their kids. You know why we canceled the, the, the 11 o'clock service in the auditorium? Primarily to create a space to get more adults to get exposed to what their kids are experiencing all the time. Our kids are hearing visions and dreams. Our kids are hearing from the Lord. Our kids are praying for all kinds of things. Our kids are praying crazy prayers for people in different parts of the world, and God is answering those prayers. And we're trying to get the adults to catch up with the kids. Hmm, I read a book somewhere. Unless you're like a child, how's this go? You cannot enter the kingdom of God. What if the Lord is inviting us together, all of us, to be part of this? So, slide six. Can we take just a couple minutes? If we were certain Jesus' return next year, next December 2020, would you live differently? How and why? And then, just a question, will you decide to live differently for the rest of this year? Let's take about two minutes. Worship leaders, come on the platform, and let's take two or three minutes on your marks. If you want to talk, great. If not, pretend you're praying. Anybody? Anybody have any? Just do it real fast. Just throw some, let's say like 15, 20 people. Just what, what, what would you do differently? If you knew Jesus was coming back in 2020, what would you do differently? Lane? I think I would let go of some more things that I spin on in the past, and I would be thinking more. Forward. Lane would give up things she spins on, move toward the future, think about the future. What else? Yes? Stop procrastinating. Stop procrastinating. Fantastic. What else? I would really make sure where my friends stand with their faith. Where do my friends stand with their faith? Beautiful. Somebody else? Come on, Frozen Chosen, let's go. Help me out. Kim. I would work really hard to be more generous in my thoughts. <laughs> be more generous in my thoughts. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. Somebody else. Yeah, Jen. Write a lot of letters I've been putting off. a lot of letters I've been putting off. What else? Over here. Somebody help me out. Yeah. More time with family, says Bob. Fantastic. More prayer time. More prayer time. 
Can I say that? Doctor said, worry less about cholesterol, more about the relationship with Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. The doctor is anonymous. <laughs> Somebody else. Over here, come on, help me out. Do what? Hide God's word in your heart. Thank you, honey. Thank you. Somebody else? Yes. Doug. Be more expectant of what is to come. Anybody else? Way in the back? Pardon me? Praising with the kids more. Yep. Thank you. One more. More focused and less busy. Thanks, Leah. Well done. Okay. Let's pray and then let's, let's, let's go for it. Lord, we thank you that you are wanting us to grow deeper in love with you and with each other. Thank you for what you're doing in our world. You're, you're calling us, you're inviting us, you're equipping us, you're blessing us, you're pouring out your spirit, you're opening our eyes to your word, you're opening our hearts to each other. We love you, Lord. We bless you and we thank you. Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on the earth that is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.